guys, welcome back to episode 68 of SpaceX PLR. Today is a very special episode and you will see in a second why is it very special and uh, it's an incredible guest today on the show and I'm very too happy to be happy to have this guest on the show. Again, it's been uh, quite some time we've been having this uh, kind of back and forth conversation on social media, but uh, it, it's going to be an incredible show, guys. For you, if you're a big fan of of this agency, of NASA, you're going to really enjoy the show today because today with us is Kenneth Harris. So Kenneth is uh, acknowledged by Forbes magazine among the world's youngest and most impactful individuals in the field of science. So Kenneth is known by delivering thoughtful and dynamic leaderships on programs of critical national and international importance. Since the age of 16, Kenneth has been involved in projects at NASA, Goddard Space Flight Center, totaling seven satellite missions over his 12-year tenure with this center. So Kenneth currently serves as a senior product engineer for the Lunar Gateway Herms instrument, which will help us send astronauts back to the moon and on their Artemis generation. Working to safely secure the program against both physical and cyber threats. Outside of his professional responsibilities, Kenneth is also an elected official on the Board of Education in Prince George's County, Maryland, where he represents over 130 students. He's also the host of Elements on Seeker, so make sure to go and find and check these episodes. Uh, there's a lot of, of these really great. Striving to educate curious minds around the globe about space science. So again, uh, there's going to be the social media links, of course, obviously, as always. It's going to be Instagram, uh, Twitter, and LinkedIn is going to be there also. So make sure to send him a message, let him know what you think about his views approach, what he said today on the podcast, and I don't know, I think it will be available for you to answer a couple of questions oh, yeah, definitely. as well. Definitely, definitely, definitely. That's a, that's a yes for you guys as well. That's so, a yes. <laughs> yeah, that is awesome. I, I love that. So again, uh, Kenneth, uh, big pleasure to have you on today. And the first question that I got for you, again, the one that kind of stood out from the bio, you got involved with NASA at the age, at the, at the age of 16. So can you take us back to the age of 16 and kind of Talk about your personal experience. How did you get involved with NASA and, and what you're currently working on at the same time? Oh man, so 16, I was a I was a knucklehead. Um, you know, I didn't really I didn't really listen a whole lot. Um, so interesting story uh, that I'll make I'll make relatively short, but um, it was basically the summer. It was summertime. You know, you just get a summer job. My mom said, Hey, you gotta get a summer job, Kenny. Um, don't care what you do. You just gotta get a summer job. I didn't really listen to her. Um, so she went ahead and applied for something for me. The last thing in our little kind of brochure that's sent to your house, basically I, I cleaned high schools for a year, not, not a year for a summer, for a few months. Um, and that was a, a really, really humbling experience uh, and good, a good experience. It, it helped my, um, you know, my punctuality, getting on, getting places on time. It helped me to understand work ethic and what goes into like, uh, you know, being proud of the work that you do. But regardless, I decided I did not want to go back and do that again. So definitely listen to her the next time. Um, ended up getting into the high school internship program as a function of uh, working at a summer camp for NASA, where I was really just there to watch my little sister. And I was I was kind of helping the camp counselors. Uh, but I, I got into the high school internship program. And that is kind of where, you know, my career went off. Um, I worked on a project called MMS. I specifically did uh, radiation testing for uh, a series of a series of satellites, um, one of which again was MMS, which is the magnetospheric multi-scale mission. And another one is is probably a mission you've never heard of, um, the the Mars one of the Mars rovers, <laughs> one of the Mars rovers, which is still up there, which is pretty cool. Um, 
and and that was a, again a great experience it's where i really got my first uh taste of um of mentorship and them getting me different places and so that was my first mission it goes along i do you know six additional missions leading up to the one i'm working on now which is the artemis mission uh which sorry the artemis program which is a part of the lunar gateway uh program which is gonna kind of be like the um you think about it as similar to the ISS, but not, it's a lot smaller and it's near the moon instead of near earth. Um, and it's supposed to help us, um, you know, uh, uh, get get boots on the moon again, as well as take us to Mars. Mm, okay, so so that's kind of, so how old are you right now, by the way? 28, 28. 20, 28, so again, so that's uh, 12 years and five minutes or less that those years ago. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. There's probably I'm sure that you have a lot of great stories to tell, you know, yeah. because working inside of NASA, I mean, it's uh, a lot of people when they, you know, like you've probably seen that yourself on the social media before, before you texted and corrected the time. I wanted to kind of give audience to let them know that I'm going to be having you on the show today. And yeah. I wanted to, to ask them question personally yourself. Yeah. And a lot of people ask the question, how can we be part of NASA? You know, so what would you right. tell for the young people who have this kind of obsessive thoughts and they want to work together with NASA and you know, with the space agency, what would you tell them? What's the correct way to approach if you want to work for NASA in the future? Yes. Yeah, so, so the first the first thing I always tell them, um, no matter what, is that you don't have to be an engineer to work for NASA, um, you know, because so many people say, OK, I have no mathematical, no science skills. I'm like, that's you know, that's fine. We've got we've got lawyers. We've got accountants. We have oh, I guess you need math skills to be an accountant. We've got accountants. <laughs> we've got um, we've got a variety of people. There's there's actually a um, a team I've worked with uh, uh, really, really closely. And, and these are the people that you can look up. They're called the Blanket Ladies. They sit in the mechanical shop um, in building five at Goddard and they make the thermal blankets that we wrap our satellites in. And they obviously they have, um, they, they're seamstresses. So so they, they make the blankets for us and that's super cool. You can be a photographer like um, Christopher Gunn who has taken all the amazing shots of James Webb. Uh, and then, you know, you can be an engineer as well. Uh, so the, the best way to go about it is to a kind of look up different fields that we have, you know, if you say, you know, it has to be your passion. So operate within your passion and then make sure that NASA aligns with your passion. Uh, but a good way to get your foot in the door is to obviously attend NASA events, obviously um, know somebody at NASA that can kind of introduce you to different people. That's always a great thing to know. Um, and, and uh, you know, be, be ambitious, be, be, be very intentional about what you do. It, it's it's a hard field to be in. It's a it's a difficult place to work. Not because of the culture, but because of the problems that we're tackling. Um, and you know, anyone looking from the outside in see can kind of see how we take uh, an idea for a satellite, and it'll it'll go years years until we get to launch. Sometimes, um, you know, James Webb, for example, years until we get to launch. Um, uh, you know, Hermes or, or, Gar or Artemis, um, the Artemis program, again, years. But again, you just have to operate within your passion, love what you do, um, and meet people, network. Uh, but you don't have to be an engineer. That's kind of the first thing I, I tell everyone. Got it. Got it. Okay. So that's good. So the best one that I got so far, make sure to get in contact with somebody who is an insider. So I'm pretty sure you're going to expect some, uh, some messages towards <laughs> your way after this interview, you know? Yeah, you could definitely Intr do that. You could definitely do that. Introduce me to someone. Yeah, so that that yeah, is awesome. Yeah. So of course, that that's that's a great advice, by the way. You know that uh, you know that you're saying you don't have to be an engineer. You just can be mm -hmm. obsessed because it depends what you do. As I mentioned, you can be somebody that's who is great at law or or just photography, and you can be part of that as well. 
So, but part of your 12 year journey so far, can you tell us, I mean, any great stories, kind of the struggles or kind of the win moments, any good and bad kind of moments uh, throughout those years? Yeah, um, let's see. Uh, I'm think I was thinking earlier years and then I worked my way up. Um, so one of the one of the first moments where I realized that um, I I had a lot to learn in terms of engineering and it kind of um, molded my mentoring style I'll say is when I was when I was in my second internship uh, I had a or third it was one of the two I had a mentor named Alfonso Stewart we worked on the GPM program together which is the global global precipitation measurement satellite um, and that's a combined program with JAXA which is um, the version of NASA in Japan, the Japanese Aerospace Exploration Agency. Um, really cool, really great, really great folks and really great team to work with. Um, so I walk into Alfonso's office and he says, hey, we have to design the elbow hinge for the solar array panels, which is basically how you um, power the satellites. You can kind of see them in your background there off to your left, I think, solar panels before the satellite. Um, so we're doing the elbow hinge for that. Um, and he basically says, hey, we need to design this whole thing. Um, what do you want to make it of? How do you want to deploy it? He just leaves everything up to me. And, you know, I don't know anything. It's my second, third internship. Like I said, I'm I'm literally there to learn. And he says, okay, what do you want to build it out of? And sets uh, six blocks in front of me. And one's made of wood, one's made of titanium, one's made of like aluminum alloy. And I say, cool, I'm gonna pick the titanium block because it's the strongest one up here and I want my satellite to be strong. He lets me go through the entire design phase of this thing. Um, and we get to the end and he's like, hey, I just want you to know that's way too heavy to fly. <laughs> and we kind of work our way backwards and say, okay, well, this is how you kind of think through it. And that really helped me to develop a, a um, hands-off mentorship style because that helped me to, he really allowed me to think through the entire process uh, by myself first. Um, and so, so that, that was kind of one of my first experiences with, um, it wasn't, it was, it was a failure, but it was a success at the same time because you know, you go through all that design and you can't use it, but that's that's uh, that's neither here nor there. One of the more interesting stories from um, being being older and more mature in the engineering field is, like I said, I worked on um, JWST, so the James Webb Space Telescope, uh, by far my favorite mission to work on, not just because um, it's an extremely popular um, telescope, but because of what it will discover and because of just the team effort that we had to we had to go through to to build something like that. Um, so one of the one of the cool stories I always like to tell everyone, and and hopefully um, it, it kind of resonates with folks, is that uh, at heart, <laughs> the people that you work with, no matter how old they are, we're really just we really love what we do. We're really um, children at heart. I want to say so. We we after we um, integrated this satellite, uh, the two major components, um, OTE to to ISIS, to, to sorry. OTE to ITE, no, OTIS, sorry, Whew. wow, acronyms, <laughs> the Obstacle Telescope Element to the IEC and the ISIS on the back, <laughs> the, the mechanical uh, area to form OTIS. We shipped that down to Texas. Um, we put it into um, a custom clean room that was built outside of the, um, the chamber that held uh, one of the Apollo missions before it went up. Um, and we lowered a satellite and it's usually oriented kind of like this so you can see the gold mirrors we kind of lay it flat on its back like that because we need to do some work up in the back area of it 
so we're throwing on his back. But it's so the threshold of it is so close to the ground that you can't just walk. You can't walk underneath it and work on it. Kind of like if you jack the car up in a in a shop. Um, so instead, you see these grown men and women, these engineers that have been in NASA for you know, 25, 30 years, and the in in these full bunny suits, we actually lay on the ground and we're, we're literally sliding around the clean room like on our backs and on our on our stomachs like to get underneath this telescope and it's 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 such a it's such a playful environment but at the same time we're actually doing hard meaningful work but at the same time we make it extremely fun because we have to be in um, this clean room environment for you know it's an eight hour, it's usually eight nine hour workday we usually like to stay in the bunny suit for at least like five of those hours because it's it's kind of a task to bunny up and then bunny down um and so that 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 was another experience just just being around the telescope and being able to um experience and build things like that was was great um i'm thinking of other things that i can just rattle off to you um one of my one of my greatest i guess failures was that uh when i was going through my undergraduate study i almost um switched majors i almost dropped out of my engineering uh field because of an academic of a university appointed um, advisor that told me to drop out of the program because I was studying, I was struggling with a class. I actually ended up taking this class, um, this, this class two times before I passed. Um, and, and that it was really discouraging because, um, you know, it, it was, it was a tough class and I was, I was doing a whole lot at the time as well, involved in, uh, extracurriculars on campus, as well as just, um, working and things of that nature. So, um, I, I, I chalked that up as one of my greatest, um, challenges I overcome I have overcome because um you know I don't know what would have happened had I decided to switch the path that I was on now I don't I don't think I'd be here talking to you I don't think you know I don't think I have the the different opportunities that I've had so um I feel like I've gave, given you a lot of stories just kind of throwing those at you now so I'll turn it back over to you for now and then we can no no, no that's look we, we, like per, I don't know about the audience but I do personally enjoy the stories because I think those yeah. are super powerful because you know it's easy yeah. to say and give an advice but when yeah. you tell kind of through own personal story it teaches a lot about who people are and I think it is more relatable so what would you say for the audience beside, you know, don't give up and kind of, you know, pursue yeah. your personal passions and the vision? What would you say for the audience who are striving to be a next, you know, engineer for NASA, for the SpaceX or, you know, something like that? Yeah, that's easy. Um, so besides being passionate, besides striving and not giving up, I would say that um, one of the best pieces of advice I was given was to network from a young age, was to network early. Um, and get someone that was very passionate about what they were doing. Um, and that could obviously guide me in what I was doing. So, um, and I, I kind of tell these stories later, but I have, I have really cool stories about how I met um, a number of my astronaut mentors, including, um, including General uh, uh, Charlie Bolden, who's the former NASA administrator. Um, and, and that was, that was completely unexpected. Um, but, but I would say to, so for me, I'm a really, uh, growing up, I was a really shy, a shy kid. Um, I didn't like to talk a lot at all. And so to be pushed out of my comfort zone to say, Hey, you need to network. Hey, you need to talk to these people was, um, something really challenging for me. So one year actually it wasn't too long ago. I think it was four years ago at this point for maybe four years ago or five years ago, I was selected to go to, um, the Space Generation Fusion Forum, which is basically a conference, an international conference between different um, um, ambassadors from 
uh, international space organization. So, you know, we've got uh, Germany, we've got Poland, we got uh, Japan, we've got, uh, uh, you know, Africa was there as well. So it's, it's where we get together and we talk about um, 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 the world space issues. So that year we did um, space debris, for example, like how are we dealing with orbital space debris? So anyway, I'm there at this conference um I'm, the, I'm i'm talking to a few people i'm not really networking like i need to but i'm talking to a few people and i'm approached by one of the individuals that kind of um are hosting the conference they come over to me they say hey kenny um we, we talk we go back and forth for a while turns out that this guy is actually from um maryland from the dc area where i'm from um and we say okay we exchange business cards and say okay we'll connect when we get back um we get back in town um he you know he reached out to me says hey i'd like to meet up It'd be great if we can talk. I say, okay, cool. Um, and and I kind of I kind of blow it off for a while. To be honest, I blow it off. I'm finishing up at this time. I'm finishing up my um, master's degree at Johns Hopkins, and at the same time, my wife and I are planning our wedding. So I, I have a lot a lot on my plate at one time. And he says, hey, let's meet up again, like the second time. And I say, okay. And uh, we schedule a date, and um, we end up having to reschedule it because of some conflicts on my end. Uh, I get married. I go on my honeymoon. He texts me on my honeymoon because he doesn't know I'm on my honeymoon at this time. Um, he says, hey, we should talk. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, cool. So as soon as we get back, we end up talking and we have formed such a great relationship um, that that I don't think I, again, I don't think where I, I'd be where I am now without kind of his guidance. And I tell that story to say that, that, that having a persistent mentor like that, that kind of really wanted to pour into you, uh, opened the door for so many other avenues for me, um, including, like I said, me meeting those astronaut mentors that I, can you hear that? No, no, that's perfectly fine. Okay. It's a, it's a good sound. <laughs> including, including those, including those, um, those astronaut mentors that I have. So that gentleman there that I met actually ended up introducing me to uh, Major General Charlie Bolden and um, Captain Kenneth Reitler, uh, who is again, another former astronaut, um, as well as um, Dr. Jeanette Epps, who's an astronaut, um, uh, uh, Leland Melvin, just, just a number of people that have kind of come into my life as a result of this. Um, and that's that's something where I can kind of, I can kind of text them or call them at any time saying, hey guys, I need, or I want to just kind of kind of uh, uh, pick your brain on this. Um, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about that? So much so that this past March, this past March, yeah, this past March, when NASA opened their astronaut applications, they actually, um, kind of guided me through that process when I submitted my application. Um, so again, you know, I think it's a cool experience just to say, hey, I want to um, apply to be an astronaut. You might not get it, but <laughs> I think it's cool to just say, hey, I did that. Uh, and I think, it, again, it, again, it's good to have mentors in your life that can help you kind of navigate that. But I tell that entire story to say that had I not um, spoken up at that one conference to meet that one individual, then those other dominoes wouldn't have fallen into place. And if, again, and if he was not so persistent about trying to have the conversation with me and, and again, pour into me, I would not be where I am. So twofold, one, network as much as you can. Um, and two, when you get into a position where you feel as though you can get back, give back, make sure you give back because it's bigger than you. And also be persistent in how you choose to give back to someone, specifically if you see something in them. Um, but yeah, so talk to people. I guess that's how I boil it down to a sentence. Talk to people. Exactly. Yeah, we do. We do live actually on a planet that if we want to create something or make something in life or in business or in relation, we have to talk with other people. I mean, there is no other mm -hmm. way around it. As you mentioned, 
you you being shy, which I don't believe in that. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's people talking about extroverts, introverts, and of course it's a, it's a yeah. big debate. We can talk about that, but yeah. uh, mm-hmm. you know, so what type of questions would you ask? You know, maybe you can share a few. Is it more based about engineering and the type of work that you do? Is it like the personal questions? Because I do believe questions are very important. It's it's more important mm-hmm. than sometimes than than the answer. And asking mm-hmm. effective questions is very important. So. Can you share like your personal journey with those people, of course, without going into detail, yeah. like how do you approach those conversations with these people when you're kind of trying to squeeze as much as you can, of course, with in a, with exchange of giving back, whatever, like what type of questions do you ask them? Yeah, so that's that's a um, that's a good question. But I the, the approach I take is um, there's a story behind this one, too. But the approach the approach I've taken uh, can be can be twofold. Um, the first method, I'd say is to is to um actually no i'll tell the story first and then we'll circle back around to that so so the story is um when i met captain kenneth reitler the the former astronaut um you know i was headed to a conference with again my other mentor and he said hey captain kenneth Reitler's is going to be here um you know you should you should meet him i'll leave it up to you to meet him um and i said okay uh from there i i simply went to google I looked up stuff about him, his missions, you know, what he had done, what he'd studied. I just, I needed to know at least, at least three paragraphs worth of information on this, on this person. So when I actually got the chance to talk to him, um, what I did, and this, this is another answer to your question, is, you know, you need to have your elevator pitch, which is obviously your 60 second pitch. And for the audience who might not know what an elevator pitch is, um, it's if you are in the elevator going from floor one to floor four let's say and let's say you want to you want to be an astronaut and uh major general charlie bolden walks onto the elevator you've got 60 seconds to tell him about you about what you hope to do um and and hopefully kind of relate to him in some way that makes him want to continue the conversation so when i had that conversation with um with uh ken with ken what we basically what i basically said was you know hey i work at nasa i'm doing xyz I have aspirations to be an astronaut to do X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z. And I, I talked about stuff, stuff about my, um, my passion for education as well, because I knew he was a professor at the Naval Academy. So um, a lot of, a lot of um, you know, keywords that, that apply to what they've done, but also align with, with what I've done without um, sounding fake or, um, you know, uh, uh, rehearsed, I'll say. So mm-hmm. to answer your question, um, the kinds of questions that I ask or the, the approach I take in any situation outside of Ken would be um, approach with the elevator pitch, um, you know, because typically when you when you get to people that you want to speak to, um, most of the time for me, I approach them at conferences. Um, LinkedIn, LinkedIn's fine, uh, but sometimes people have so much going on that they'll read a LinkedIn post and they'll just kind of forget about it. Um, and then, you know, it's kind of it's kind of lost in the in the ether at that point. Um, so usually when I get face to face with these different people at conferences, you know, I'll give them my elevator pitch. I'll say, hey, this is this is great. Um, or hey, hey, this is what I hope to work on. I know you, I know you flew on, you know, STS 131 or whatever it was. Um, and and uh and you kind of go from there. But the goal of that first interaction is to be um unforgettable, or not unforgettable, but um is to be is to be memorable so that when they do take your business card or when they do hear back from you, then they'll say, oh yeah, that's the guy that was talking to me about um, 
education or that's the guy that was talking to me about um you know gpm or or, or james webb um because the goal of the first interaction is to set up the next interaction because they're not going to tell you their life story at a conference they're not even going to tell you their life story over linkedin what you want to do is capture their attention for a follow-up you want to capture their attention to foster a relationship because you don't walk up to someone one day and say hey can you be my mentor i mean some some people do and that's okay but a mentor, a mentor, a mentee mentorship relationship is just that it's a relationship and it has to be developed over time. You can't force something like that. Um, and you, again, you can't get everything out of one conversation. So I lead into my first conversation thinking, what is the next conversation going to be? And how can I make sure from what I'm saying in this 60 seconds, this person wants to talk to me again? That's kind of how I approach it. Sorry, I didn't give you a specific question to ask. I guess, um, but that's kind of the approach I take. Um, so, I mean, you can you can ask what we call open-ended questions, which which are questions that will result in them not saying just yes or no. So it don't say, uh, you know, have you ever worked on have you ever worked on a satellite? Yes, and that that could be my answer. <laughs> it has to be something something more in depth than that. Um, so ask an open-ended question like, you know, how do you how do you feel about how do you feel about the James Webb telescope being delayed or something like that? Mm -hmm. And hopefully they'll open up a little bit more about it. Um, because again, you want to make sure that you are making your you're setting yourself up to have a second conversation. That's what I'd say. Mm -hmm. That's that's very good. That that's gold right there. I don't know if you guys or girls got it, but if you didn't get it, make sure to rewatch that again because <laughs> now we're going behind the scenes of becoming a successful, you know, engineer. <laughs> You know, it's a lot of kind of mentorship and, you know, creating those relationships, which is very important. I mean, you spend 12 plus years, you know, in NASA, and that means that you build a lot of those quality relationships over time. So it, it's really good. So again, uh, and it's part of that, how you probably became elected the official at the Board of Education as well, because you became <laughs> good at speaking with people, you know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want to ask you one thing, one question, just want to make sure that your answer doesn't change, because I found, again, the conversation that you had on the NASA's website. So I just want to kind of, you know, ch check you on that if you don't mind. So what will be kind of your favorites, the fav most of the favorites thing uh, so far as you work in a NASA? What was what's my favorite part of working at NASA? Yeah. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> it's a few things. Um, I really, I really genuinely enjoy um, the teams I've worked with, like the culture of NASA. I really, really enjoy that. Um, just, uh, just how we interact with each other, how different folks are, are willing to help you, I'll say. Um, it's, it's tough being in this, again, it's a tough field to be in. And if you run into the wrong individual that, um, you know, thinks they are the absolute smartest person in the room and that the question that you're asking is so beneath them that they don't want to help you or that they belittle you and make you feel a certain way about asking that question. Certain people can't take criticism. So that can be very detrimental to someone's um, educational future, their career, anything like that. So working at NASA, I think it's a very open place where, where I can actually, again, with my 12 years, I can even walk up to someone and say, hey, I don't understand why this schematic looks that way. Like, I don't understand. Someone explain it to me. And they have no problem. There's, there's actually a saying that we all, we say, I hear it on a meeting at least one, one, one time a week where someone says, explain it to me like I'm a fourth grader. <laughs> and we'll actually have to sit there and we'll, we'll break it down, not because, not because anyone is, is incapable of comprehension, but because explaining it in that way really, make, mm -hmm. really opens the floor up to figure out the problems with it. 
um, and really open up the floor to additional questions about it. So that's what I'd say. I, 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 I'd have to say the team that I work with. Exactly. So it didn't change. So it still stays the same. Culture, <laughs> I, even, culture. <laughs> I was like, I don't even know what, what article you're talking about, but 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 that 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 that's constantly my answer. I mean, it's it's always yeah. cool to work on satellites and stuff like that, but that at the end of the day, no one builds a satellite by themselves. So yeah. so I can't I can't say, oh, I really like building the satellites. I mean, that's that's fun being in a bunny suit, that's cool traveling with satellites and, and speaking and stuff, that's great. But at the 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 heart of it is my is my team. I really I really do love my team, um, and all the different contributions that we make together. Yeah, yeah, awesome, awesome. So again, the the question that I wanted to ask you mentioned one thing, which is uh, one of your favorite projects, uh, of course, is uh, James Webb Telescope. So the question that mm -hmm. you asked, and I, you know, you said gave an example asking open ended questions. So the same question applies to you because there's a lot of people looking forward to James Webb Telescope, including myself, to getting launched. So oh, yeah. what do you, how do you feel yourself personally? I'm going to use the same question as you used, you know. <laughs> how do you feel, feel, feel personal about being James Webb Telescope being delayed now? So um, <laughs> I am I'm excited for its launch. Its delay, I feel, is, is, is justified because if you think about, um, if you think about just how complex this telescope is, um, and how unforgiving a situation would be where it went up and something went wrong with it, mm -hmm. um, then I think a delay here is worth um, is worth the wait because you know if you if you even look back to Hubble when Hubble was launched and Hubble had its issues, yeah. um, you know Hubble was Hubble was in an orbit that was um, attainable like you know you can go up there and fix it as well as we developed, well, not we, because I didn't work on Hubble, but they developed a hatch on Hubble that allowed it to be serviced. And as we know, Hubble had a number of servicing missions. James Webb A flies in an L2 or Lagrange 2 orbit um, that is, what's that, 1.5 million kilometers, something like that. It's, it's, it's way out there. <laughs> and so when that's out there, no one's going out there to fix it. And even if someone did go out there to fix it, we didn't install a hatch on James Webb like we, like they installed on Hubble. There's no hatch <laughs> because we know you're not going up to service it. Um, so, so I think the delay is definitely going to be worth it. Again, when you think of just what this mission means, what this mission uh, hopes to obtain, when you think of the the insane concept of we're going to launch a a telescope into space that is going to observe. Um, you know, uh, errors around the Big Bang or help to see how the universe was formed and things like that. That's a absolutely insane concept. And then to make it even, even worse, we say we're going to make this thing a transformer that unfolds into a tennis-sized court satellite. <laughs> so so to, to take an insane concept and to make it more insane is to say, okay, let's let's get it right here. And then when we launch it, you know, we can, we can say 100% we did everything humanly possible. Um, to make sure that this thing was functioning correctly. Um, so I am, I'm glad it got delayed, but I'm also sad that it got delayed because um, everyone wants to know what it's going to find, right? But, yeah. but I, think, I think I'm still safe to say that within my lifetime, I will see James Webb go up. <laughs> if it was delayed like, you know, 50 plus years, I'd be like, well, now we're pushing it. But, you know, I think we're, I think we're still in the safe range. <laughs> Oh, definitely. I agree with you on that one because yeah. exactly. There is a lot of 
man hours, uh, man power, man brain power that's been put into this project. So we want to see it successful from a day one. Sure. So, right. you know, we have to just wait it out and people have to be patient because I know that's one of the things that we don't have as people is just patience. And uh, <laughs> is there anything else besides, I mean, can you explain us, maybe give us a little bit of insight the way NASA operates with the projects that they have in the pipeline. So let's say if the James Webb uh, telescope is getting launched, hopefully this year, let's say October, uh, you know, are we going to see anything else coming up after that in the pipeline or are you just going to continue to service remotely the James Webb telescope or, I mean, is there something in the pipeline already after James, James Webb? Yeah, so there's, there's, there's a mission called W first that's in the pipeline after James Webb. Um, I'm not sure on all the details of W first because I, I've been working on other projects, um, but one of some of the, some of the biggest projects coming up um, that I encourage the audience to look into. Um, is W first, which is just a W and then the word first. Um, if you follow the Kepler missions, which identified a host of habitable exoplanets and stuff like that, mm -hmm. um, Kepler has a new, Kepler mission is retired, but their new mission, TESS, T-E-S-S, um, will, be, will be coming up uh, soon. Uh, what else? Um, Artemis, the Artemis generation. Recently, NASA announced their, their astronauts that are, will participate in the Artemis generation. Um, we've got a number of um, projects in that lunar gateway. That's a, that's a big project that's coming up. Um, and then we have, you know, the other small uh, uh, research-based satellites that are going up that aren't just that aren't that aren't uh, crewed missions. So, you know, lunar gateway is going to be crewed. Um, and then you have your set of commercial spaces. So you got the SpaceX, you've got the Blue Origins. Um, all those different folks, but it's it's there's definitely there's definitely not a shortage of um, missions going up. I'd say it's just kind of your flavor of what you what you want to look into, and and even if you want to look outside the U.S., you can look at other countries and what they're doing now. You know, we've got an additional project with JAXA coming up. Um, another thing, um, I don't know when this is going to air, but JAXA and uh, NASA, JAXA and um, Toyota have actually partnered to build a new um, lunar cruiser, which is going to be part of, um, which is going to be hopefully uh, utilized on the moon in the coming years. Shameless plug, I did a secret episode on that that is not out yet, but it will be out soon. <laughs> um, and um, so that's another, again, it's just, it's just a matter of what you're looking for. Like if you're looking for research, just say research satellites, if you're looking for crude, so uh, men and women going to space, then you can look at that as well. But um, it's no shortage of satellites or missions going up. Yeah. So, and all these projects that you're talking about, is this is the the past projects that still you continue until this this day, or or that's what's going to be done again with the again. So, first of all, congratulations on 23.3 billion dollars, uh, you know, budget for for NASA for this year. So, oh, is, yeah. this, is this going to be so? What's going to be done again with part of that capital? I mean, is this going to be funded to fund uh, these existing projects, or the, the portion of that is going to be going somewhere else to the brand new project? So it's 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 not an even split by any means. So you know you've got you've got a portion of it going to existing projects that are wrapping up. You've got a portion of it going to your newer projects, and then you've got obviously your your um, part of your budget going to um, um, research and development. So you've got you know working at the uh, so even though NASA is one government agency, uh, each center has their own specialty. So you know you've got. Uh, the popular one, well, all of them are popular, but some of the more popular ones that a lot of tourists go to are the Kennedy Space Center, because that's where a lot of the launches happen. 
Um, you got the uh, Johnson Space Center in Texas, which is which are where we train our astronauts. So all the crewed missions are happening down there. Um, you've got uh, uh, JPL. You've got the um, you know you've got oh man acronyms are terrible. You got JPL out in out in California, uh, where they do most of their rockets and things of that nature. And then Goddard is more of a um, it's more of like a research facility almost. So we is a research and integration facility. So Goddard actually hosts the um, CISTIF, which is the biggest, which is one of the biggest class 10,000 clean rooms in North America. So that's one of the reasons why James Webb was assembled here in, in uh, Greenbelt, Maryland, because we have the facility to do so. Um, and it's the biggest one in North America. Um, so again, that's kind of how the budget spread out. It's spread out amongst centers. I didn't name all the centers just now, but they're spread out amongst the different centers. Um, and then obviously some something that we're having a conversation about now um, in kind of the upper the upper tiers of NASA are, uh, you know, money toward education, for example. So getting additional uh, students filled into the pipeline, making sure they understand what's happening at the lower levels of NASA that way. We're, we're training up the people that are gonna replace me, basically. Um, so, you know, making sure money is going into that and providing for the next generation of, of NASA. And I'm, I'm currently sitting on a board that's um, helping mm -hmm. to do that as well. Cause uh, you know, again, full circle, it's bigger than me. I gotta make sure that it continues even after I'm gone. Exactly, indeed, indeed, yeah. love it, love it. So legacy, legacy is very important. So again, so, part, part of the education that you mentioned, which, uh, uh, again, it's it's a big topic. Again, our educational system for now is, is a little bit different, again, from as far as, as I would like to see personally. Uh, yeah. But uh, just talking about education in general, I mean, why people should pay attention, again, to the space industry? I mean, why is this supposed to be something important for us? Because personally, again, as an outsider, it seems like, again, I've never been in a, you know, in the times of Apollo 11, kind of first landing on the moon. And, you know, these times mm -hmm. where there was kind of this uh, space race, who was going to be the first? But I do, I do guess it's been something like this. That's what's happening right now. And again, for you as an insider, you probably still have the same feeling. You're just working on the projects and you don't, there's no difference for you. But for the outsiders, it feels like, you know, there's, we're rushing towards something. So with that rush, I mean, there's more people getting involved, but for the people who are left behind, like, what would you say to them? Like why they should go and educate themselves about the space or be part of the space industries with the space agencies or either private companies? Yeah, um, that's a really good question. I think that as we continue to um, just develop as a society, I think, um, I, I think something that has driven humans since, um, the beginning of time has been exploration and the mystery of what's 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 out there what's next um it hasn't always been looking to space it you know for a while it was just looking across the ocean <laughs> but but you know it, it's exploration and what and what's next and you, we can see that even in um oceanic studies because a, a big thing dealing with space and the oceans is that we know a lot more about space than we do about our own ocean for example so um I think that in itself can be a huge driving factor for different people that may not be involved in the field or may not be um, at least researched in the field because again, we're doing a lot more for um, um, commercial space now, like government agencies are partnering a lot more with commercial spaces to uh, not only make it more accessible, but to um, <clears throat> kind of spread out the work a little more. 
And you know, you know, 25 years ago, we couldn't we couldn't launch a um, or we couldn't go to a university to develop a satellite. But nowadays, we can tap universities and say, "Hey, we need a 3U cube set built, and it'll be launched as a piggyback on this other one with it, that we're doing." Um, and that only, again, full circles of education, that only, that not only helps with educating the next generation to have them build a small satellite, it gets them involved, it gets them interested. Um, they can say, yeah, you're nate to it. Again, you don't have to do space. You don't have to do science. To me, it, that's, that's my passion. It doesn't have to be yours. Um, but in some way, as we are constantly evolving as society, I feel like that drive for exploration, that drive for the solving mysteries will, will really push us again towards space and, and the oceans, as I mentioned earlier. And what will be kind of the end goal or the kind of the, the, let's say the future projection and the positive, the greatest way possible that you would like to see as a species like in the future? Oh man, um, that's a <laughs> tricky question. Um, I, it's twofold because I'm, I'm a very strong advocate for preserving the home that we have here. Um, and not and not pushing toward the the advancement of space technology to have a backup in case something happens here. So so I do think that we should uh, preserve our world, but at the same time, I think that we should understand other planets, other moons, other celestial bodies, so that we can potentially understand what may be coming way down the pipeline for Earth, if that makes sense. Um, because you can you can study other planets that have similar stars to ours to say, <clears throat> okay, well, uh, you know, this star burnt out X amount of years ago, so we know that our star will potentially burn out blah, 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 blah. And that's not to be an alarmist by any means, but it's just to say, it's just to say the science, if the science is there, you might as well understand it. Like, don't pretend it's not there, is what I'll say. So the end, the end, what I'm hoping for, or is is to be, um, I don't know the technical word, and I don't want to kind of muff it up here, but to be to be able to go from planet to planet, I forgot the word for it, because um, I usually I usually confuse it with um, interterrestrial or whatever it is. Um, but yeah, interplanetary I like, I, species. There it is, interplanetary species. I like to um, I like to be able to go from you know here to Mars, for example, and we have the science to do that. Uh, in the future, we have the science to do that. I'd like to be able to see that happen. Um, but I don't think, I don't think, because some people ask me, hey, how close are we to um, like Star Wars, Star Trek? <laughs> and that's, you know, to me, that's, that's, that's really far off, <laughs> um, really, really far off. And there's a good article about the differences between it. But I'm, again, I won't, I, I won't muff it up. I kind of did that reading in my own time. But um, that's something that I'd like to see interplanetary species. Here you go, here you go. So you being part of the Lunar Gateway Project, can you talk about that a little bit? And uh, how far off are we actually looking to creating a, a base on the moon? Um, so Lunar Gateway is actually going to orbit near the moon. We can say, mm -hmm. um, we can say, uh, so, so Lunar Gateway has a series of um, instruments on it. I personally am doing the space asset protection for the Hermes instrument, which is going to help study uh, solar weather, radiation, things like that, um, while on Lunar Gateway to help us understand how we can put astronauts in that orbit and and get get additional data on that. Can't talk a whole lot about that because that's kind of high high level stuff. But yeah. um, the 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 concept of Lunar Gateway is again to be. I like to think about it as like the gas station on the way to Mars. So we got a pit stop. So you can say we can go here to we can we can launch from here. We can go to Lunar Gateway. 
we, we can refuel and we can go on to Mars. Or if you're on the moon already, you go to the moon, go up to Lunar Gateway, then you go to Mars. It's supposed to be like a pit stop on the way there. Um, so you can kind of see us kind of forming this, um, this path, this path toward uh, an end goal. And in the space agency, space agency, in the space um, field right now, there is there is kind of a split between um, the 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 moon people and the, the Mars people. Basically, like we need to go to Mars now, or we need to go to the moon now. Um, and it's you know it's about it's just about understanding it and kind of seeing uh, um, um, how we can get there as safely. I'm I'm all for I'm all for the safety of things and understanding things. I don't. I, uh, I'm not going to get really into that, but, um, you know, in, in terms of, what was your question? How close are we to? So to creating a, a base so, yeah. on the moon. So we're, I mean, that, that's, I'd say that's pretty close. The, the, the puzzle pieces for that are coming together. Um, you know, like I said, we'll have Lunar Gate, which would be near the moon, um, <clears throat> orbiting near the moon. And I, I mentioned the, um, the JAXA and NASA mission earlier that's developing their new, uh, lunar cruiser, which is supposed to have, um, a laboratory on it. So a big thing about the about the Apollo missions, the later Apollo missions, is that they had their um, moon buggy, which was great. But the moon buggy could only take. Well, the first Apollo mission, you could only walk. There was no buggy. Um, then you get to I think Apollo 15. 15 had the first moon buggy. So you get on moon buggy, and now you can zip around the moon, but you still have to come back. The concept for the, this new lunar lunar rover, lunar vehicle is not a rover, lunar vehicle is for it to be a mobile laboratory so that you're supposed to be able to stay into it and stay inside of this laboratory for up to 14 days. So you're in your moon base, you can go out for two weeks, explore the moon and come back. But it's it's a habitat where you can um, take your helmet off, where you can, you know, take a shower, X, Y, Z, um, and, and really explore the moon in that <laughs> as much luxury as you can, but not with, you know, not having to go back to the habit, the habitat every day. Um, so full circle, the, how close are we to the moon base? Um, I, I want to say that we could, we could probably start setting up a lot, a lot, a lot of, um, agencies have concepts for, um, for moon habitats. Um, so much so that, that uh, I actually saw a, one was on display at uh we went it was some conference some conference happened right before right before COVID. i forgot where it was but jackson had a display for um a moon base kind of similar to the one behind you it was an inflatable moon base um and they actually blew this thing up in the convention center <laughs> i was like that's that's really cool um so we, we're i want to say we're right around the corner from that we just have to do you know more proof of concepts obviously someone has to go up there and test it um but i think that that's very achievable in my in my opinion so and the lunar gateway is going to act like a like a station to get resupplied for the moon base also yeah you can think about it like that um so so i know i know one one idea again this is not um set in stone yet but going back to that that um lunar vehicle again they plan i know they had the plan of um of having lunar vehicles on gateway so that they can just put them on the moon when they're needed. Um, but I think, uh, and, and, and in addition, um, I can see Lunar Gateway being used as a, as a, um, as a means for getting supplies to the moon. Um, for, you know, for example, it's easier to launch a spacecraft from here to an orbiting body than it is to launch it from here down to the surface and then relaunch it, if that makes sense. It's hard, it's hard to pick some, 
up off the ground than it is to you know send it back home when it's already in orbit. Mm -hmm. So I can see I can see different um, scenarios where we decide to go from here to the gate to gateway, and that just kind of be a holding area, and then you send it down to the moon, which is a lot shorter shorter distance. Mm -hmm. um, so I can see those ideas, but again, those are those are all working concepts right now, um, and. And uh, again, I, I think that's things like that are right around the corner. Yeah, exactly. And I think uh, that's a lot of people right now probably commenting, oh, you, you, you guys always say that. It's right around the corner. And it's seven years later, you're still not yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it's, you, uh, it, it's difficult. It's difficult to get it right. <laughs> like, yeah, I do understand. I mean, you know, for us as, as outsiders, the people who are just, you know, they, they just watch and they, you know, it's easy to, to make a judgment. Oh, it's way too slow. Everything is way too slow. But why do you say, yeah. I mean, why why everything is taking, you know, why this specific project's taking, you know, years, five years, 10 years? Like, how do you go about these kind of projects and the timing when it comes to those? I mean, there's probably a lot of, you know, mitigating risk factors that you go about and you probably have a ton of those meetings. But how do you plan out the, the schedule for, for these projects? Yeah, so, um, so it's, so I start off by saying it's difficult because you are literally doing something that hasn't been done before. Like, mm -hmm. you know, if you, if you, if, if people ask, okay, when are we going to have a moon base? My first question is, is, does a moon base already exist? Like these things take time, <laughs> obviously. And it takes even more time when we are sending a human life to, to be inside of that moon base. And it's, it's basically a 0% chance. I mean, a 0% margin for error. Um, and then, and, and again, dealing with human life, you had to build in all these redundancies and you make sure that, okay, what happens if, if, you know, you let's take an inflatable moon base, for example, what happens if there's a hole in the moon base? I don't know, something like that. You just build in these redundancies to make sure that you are preserving human life. And then worst case scenario, you have to, you know, try to do an evacuation from the moon. Again, a insane concept to say, we need to evacuate people from the moon. <laughs> um, so, so again, these things take time because Again, cutting edge, cutting edge um, things that haven't been done before. And on top of that, um, they're costly. They take money to do. Um, and as we know in, um, and I'm not, I'm gonna jump on this soapbox and then off this soapbox, specifically in America, there's a lot of um, <laughs> conflict with uh, political, political agendas. Um, and you'll see kind of the money from NASA go one way and then, I mean, you know, it's up here and it's down here, it's up here and it's down here. You just go back and forth. So, and then with different administrations, the um, the goals for what NASA um, uh, targets will change. Um, so recently, uh, you know, our our current administrator has his, one of his biggest drives has been the Artemis generation, putting boots on the moon, putting boots on the moon, in that nature. And you you might've noticed in the, since he's, since he's taken, um his position a lot, a lot more um, uh, uh, media around space, like movies, space TV shows, like those have come out because mm -hmm. we're building public interest in space. Yeah. Because you know you can't you can't do any of this without money, and so you have to build public interest to make the public want to see more of it in real life. That's how you get money to do it in real life. So there's no there's no coincidence that you've seen a surge of space movies come out of the you know past four or five years. <laughs> it's because you're building up for this Artemis generation. Um, so, you know, just this past, in 2019, I think Ad Astra, who, who was that? Was that Brad Pitt who did Ad Astra <laughs> in 2019? So it's kind of, it's kind of like, it's, it's just building up to something bigger. Um, but again, I'm going on a tangent now. So it, it's because it takes time. It's because cutting edge technology. Um, the, those are kind of the, the, the two biggest things when it comes to um, making the schedules and stuff. Um, 
it's it's about what you're trying to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish your end goal and then your margin of errors and then and then again getting a team that can do it because cutting edge stuff you got to find someone that thinks they can do it because again you haven't done it before so you have to find someone who thinks they can do it and then go through that whole process um so i think i think it's because it's it's really exciting work but um but media has painted it in a way that makes it seem really easy mm-hmm. um if that makes sense like you know you can't you can't repair a spaceship with a blowtorch alone um kind of like if you watch the mandalorian <laughs> he basically repaired his whole spaceship with a blowtorch and we're like all right <laughs> and so so you know it makes it seem easier on tv than it is in real life so yeah um that's maybe, maybe maybe in the next hundred years when it's really going to become easier once we're going to get everything figured out you know maybe maybe yeah. that i'm look I, I look forward to it honestly but i just want i just want you know i just want to make sure the public knows that um you know we're not it, it's not as cookie cutter as it as it seems oh, it's yeah. each each satellite each mission kind of has its own um unique life to it even down to the blueprints of the origin i mean of the of the orbit that it'll fly in um mm-hmm. it's pretty unique so um yeah it's yeah. it's it's a, it's a cool field to be in so how do you how do you feel about uh satellites you know itself because like you i had on a podcast a number of astrophotographers which mm-hmm. for them it's only the one word that you use to describe a satellite they call it the junk you know yeah. that's pretty much it you know because that's that's for them that's done for them but how do you feel about the entire satellite you know thing going again you mentioned you've been in a in an event where you kind of the main theme was you know space debris so mm-hmm. how do you feel about that? And you know, do you think it's it's become a, a really big problem in the future? Because right up there, we have an ISS, and I think we had a critical uh, kind of close call approaches just oh, last yeah. year. So so how <laughs> yeah. do you think it's all going to play out with more and more satellites and that because of the internet connections? Because we need that. So how is that going to play out in the end of the day? What do you think? Yeah. So that's a that's a big 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 topic that we're dealing with right now. Um, and the main thing is that space debris is not the responsibility of just one country. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really the combined junk <laughs> of the world, <laughs> but in space. Um, so I think that uh, how to play out in the future, there's a number of different companies and I can't name them all off the top of my head, but there's a number of companies that are actually taking on space debris head on, mm-hmm. um, trying to figure out cleanup solutions and, and things of that nature. Um, <clears throat> because as you know, we do have a crew in 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 orbit, um, and not only that, but different commercial uh, organizations. I guess I don't have to be. Um, I, I don't have to kind of tiptoe around it. Um, SpaceX is trying to send autonomous uh, satellites into into space that that won't um, that will that will fly autonomously through orbits, <laughs> and you know that makes everyone a little nervous because when you fly autonomously through an orbit. Um, sometimes space debris is uh, unpredictable. And again, we have human life in orbit and that's not really a, a margin of error that we can accept. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't I don't know the answer to that. I don't know how we're going to deal with space debris. I know that it's an ongoing global conversation right now that has been happening for years. Like I said, that conference that I was in was five years ago and I know that they've been doing it even since before that. Um, so I know a big a big push. I know uh, uh, ESA has done a lot with it. the European Space Agency has done a lot um, in that regard and kind of pushing for that in that direction. Um, but but you know the biggest the biggest contributors to 
two satellites in orbit are um, um, China, Russia, the US, you know, the biggest three. Um, then you've got ESA, Germany, um, and uh, this one other one, but I forgot. Um, oh, Japan. <laughs> and, um, and, and, and so it's about coming together collectively to, to fix the problem, but I don't really have the answer to it. I just kind of, I follow it because luckily that's not my, it, yeah. it is my issue, but at the same time, I'm just kind of following like, okay, how can I help? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I get it. I get it. Yeah. So again, it's, uh, yeah, at least, you know, from my view, I don't, I don't want to see it because look, space is a beautiful thing. And I think, uh, due to the you know light pollution areas that we live in again i don't know the the situation that you have in maryland but some people live in a bortal nine scale you know bortal mm -hmm. 10, where it's real light you you know some of the people like weren't they born before they they died they've never seen a, a milky way before so it's kind of sad because i think right. if we can look up and and see you know um you know see see you know the night sky it can inspire a lot of people and mm -hmm. i think a lot of you know people just like yourself you probably seen the sky more than a couple times before at night so I think yeah. it, it could be a real benefit for people. So instead of, you know, like having satellites, unless, you know, they're there and we don't have any problems where, you know, collisions happen and something might happen with ISS or there's, you know, space debris flying on people's heads or, yeah. you know, there's a website flying, you know, you know, with a, <laughs> it says WW and there's, it's made of yeah. satellites. Like, I don't want to see right. that in the future because... <laughs> right. I think you know space is getting open for business, and those uh, mm -hmm. things will happen in the future at some point to some degree. But uh, you know, mm -hmm. hopefully not. So, and you mentioned again, part of that, you know, we have astronauts now, you know, in ISS, so we have some people. So, what about you know the question? The you know, it's been in the movies. You mentioned about the movies. It's been in the movies since sixties, probably seventies, about yeah. the the green little man. So, what's your personal <laughs> what's your personal thought about that? I have to ask a question. Oh, oh I man, question. I get. I get that question every time. So um, <laughs> I think I think that um, I think the universe is huge. I do not. It's my personal opinion that we are not alone in the universe in some way. Um, I don't think it's little green men by any means, but I do think that in some way on some other planet someday we'll discover that there is something other than us in the universe. Um, just to put it in perspective, again, a shameless plug for Seeker. I just did an episode on this um, <laughs> that is not out yet. <laughs> um, so I think I think one of the biggest things, and this is something that the Kepler mission recently, um, well, it was a it was a combination between the SETI Institute, ESA, and Kepler. They did a study using the data that they got from Kepler and Gaia to what well, is Gaia's ESA's mission um, to to look at planets that are inhabitable zones. Inhabitable zones are just the areas for, again, for the audience that don't know, habitable zone is the area near a, near a star, a sun-like star that is just far enough away to host, to have liquid water on its surface, which can or cannot mean that there is life. And using the data from Kepler and Gaia, um, the SETI Institute has established that there are uh, close to 300 million planets that fit the same criteria of, as Earth within the Milky Way. So solely the Milky Way, <laughs> they have identified, they have they have guessed that there are 300 million. Um, out of those 300 million, they've only identified 4,000 of them or about, that's about 3,000, about 3,000 of them. But they've, they've estimated it to be 300 million in total. And that's from them taking a very conservative amount of about 7%. Um, if, you, if you were to look at the data from Kepler and Gaia, you'll see that out of the, um, 
uh, what, 10, 10 billion stars, about 90% of those stars um, um, are similar in shape, mass, and uh, complexity to the Earth. Now, that doesn't mean that all 90% have, have life on them, which is why we take 7%. And we say, okay, about 7% of these might have life, which how are we at 300 million, which again, is still a huge number. <laughs> 300 million is a huge number. Um, and for them to already have identified about 3,000 of them, it makes you think like, what's happening out here? <laughs> like, what's happening? But again, the closest one is uh, light years away. I don't know the exact number, but... Um, gonna be really tough to to know because right now we're, we're you know we're playing we're playing we're playing the short game right now we're looking at the moon we're looking at mars like that's 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 peanuts compared to compared to planets out there that might fit the bill so long story short i do think we i don't think we are alone in the universe i don't think it's little green men but i'm not sure what i think it is but i'm hoping that i can continue to work on projects that will one day answer it you know hopefully like james webb and other projects I worked on will be able to answer questions like that. Exactly. So, so on part of those projects, you know, the perseverance that is landing, you know, February this year. So, can you talk yep. about that? You know, because I, I think part of the project and part of the whole idea of having perseverance, because it's going to be looking for, you know, for for the traits of, you know, is there was there a life before on Mars, and you know, kind of making sure that we can you know, uh, land future astronauts on, on Mars as well. So so how, how important is the entire project and how far are we seeing, you know, similar to the moon question, how far can we see us as species on, on the moon, like full, on the Mars full time also? Yeah, so that's a that's a tougher question. Um, I'm not, uh, I, I follow Perseverance just in the news. Mm -hmm. um, I worked on, I worked on um, the, the initial Mars rover that went up there and that was, that was a, a very small um, part. We worked on their um, their uh, shoot their um, their ice box for the for the mission. Um, but in terms of perseverance, I think that I think that having <laughs> and this is this is twofold. I'm gonna roll into something else as well. Having perseverance up there, I think is is gonna be extremely um, beneficial to understanding the complexity again of Mars because we sent rovers before. Um, but I think he, having having the understanding of of um, what's up there before we get up there is is obviously very beneficial. Um, but but in terms of um, how close are we to something like that, uh, you know you know someone like Elon would say what 2031, 2034, something like that. Which I think I mean I think is achievable if we get if we get the moon situation out the way. You know he's already proving that. Um, you know he can he can utilize his uh his Raptor engine, mm -hmm. um and the Raptor engine utilizing methane, uh, which is rich on on Mars and that we can again produce on Mars. So that means that means you know for again for the audience it basically means that we can launch, uh <clears throat> we can launch a a crew from here to Mars with no additional fuel on it. And when they get to Mars, we can create the fuel that they need to thus to thus get back, which again makes it's huge because when you think of um flying into space, then one of the main things you want to think about is weight. Going back to that first conversation where my mentor had me build that satellite out of titanium, too heavy, full circle, but you think of, you're thinking of weight. So if you don't have to take that additional weight to refuel the rocket or to provide additional fuel, then you can go, um, you know, you can do a lot more. Uh, so I do think it's close, obviously not as close as the moon. Um, I think, I mean, I'd, I'd agree with Elon, like, you know, 2034, maybe uh, it would be, would be a good target year. Um, it's a little out there, but I like to build in um, 
what if scenarios <laughs> like you know what if we need to do this what if xyz because if, if i've learned nothing from being in the space industry i've uh, you definitely got to learn that things slip to the right basically meaning they get delayed and that happens every day like hey this slips to the right great that slips to the right great <laughs> and so it's it's for a number of reasons tests don't go right uh when you want to add a new design to something um money is another thing uh and it, COVID, <laughs> COVID out of the blue <laughs> so you know things like that you just build and stuff like that so exactly. uh, yeah so what about what about making things right you know what about making things right as, as you mentioned you know, when it comes to design or just uh you know uh questions that we ask and we don't we we don't have the answers yet what about making everything right so, so and part of that making things right is taking advantage let's say of you know ai based technology because uh mm. Part, part of uh, some conversations that I had with the people, I remember one guest, particular guest, she's now going through um, analog training mission and now she's, mm -hmm. she's looking to be an astronaut in the future, of course, as well. Mm -hmm. And she mentioned that the criteria that currently the you know, uh, commercial astronaut is based on is very high, but the kind of the process, who's gonna be, be picked for the future astronaut is gonna be uh, dedicated to the AI technology, who's gonna kind of pick the, the future astronauts. So yeah. is there anything being used from AI's perspective right now on, let's say, satellite creation on NASA that's being used or like how much of the overall of the AI technology is being used on NASA or maybe for the future? Um, so, again, good question. Uh, not something I specifically work on, but so I don't, I'm not really 100% sure on that. Um, I'm sure she gave you a lot more detail about what she's doing and things of that nature. But in terms of AI, for for what we're working on i can say we from from projects i work on ai is being used um um a lot in terms of us uh, uh asset protection so when it comes to protecting our satellites we we utilize ai um in a in a series of you know projects or a, ser or a group that we um do threat detecting it so one of the so some of the major uh threats to satellites are A, um, high-powered lasers, um, B, uh, uh, cybersecurity th threats, or three, um, you know, kamikaze satellites. You can think of them like that. Are there, some, some of these satellites are actually put in orbit with the intent purpose of um, decommissioning other satellites, so much so wow. that some of these satellites, and I, I think about this real quick. Yes, that is, that is public knowledge. Some of these satellites actually have like um, little Batman grappling hooks that they can like grab a satellite, like pull it out of orbit or like swing it somewhere so that it, you know, it's destroyed. <laughs> and when you think about it, it's like, man, that's a cool concept. But at the same time, it's like, how do we protect against that? So some of these satellites and some of these uh, models that we're building, we're using AI and different models to, uh, to, to help um, deter things like that from happening. Uh, so again, that's not really uh, about populating the moon it's not populating mars it's not about astronauts but that's you know that's kind of how we're in my world right now that's how we're utilizing ai because i do i do agree in the future ai will definitely be um used a lot will be pegged a lot uh but right now in my current role don't use it a ton but we it is it is present mm, got it so part of that, I mean, you know, because AI, I think it's going to be a great resource for us to make a lot of great decisions in the future, because, you know, for us, it, the, the way our brain wired, I mean, we just, everything is taking too long. And again, I know that uh, Elon is, is looking to solve where, I, again, there is 50-50, as I mentioned, the same divided 
group of yeah, people, yeah. you know, who are talking about Moon on Mars. So it's same uh, for yeah. it or against it. Again, AI and creating, you know, Neuralink kind of symbiotic relationship yeah. with people and yeah. AI. So I do understand that. You know, it's very yeah. sensitive the topic. But can you talk talk about your again your own personal uh, kind of add value process for you working as a board of the education for the mm -hmm. Prince George's County, Maryland? So mm -hmm. what type of can you you know take us through that kind of routine and what type of work is that and how you provide value? Yeah, to yeah. So um, that's a new role for me. I'm in my first term right now, and that the desire to do that stemmed from my um, my desire to to mentor, but also at the end of the day, it's the desire to make sure that the next generation knows about space and they have the opportunity to be afforded things like that. <clears throat> so Prince George's County, Maryland is the, is the county that I grew up in and I went to school and I'm a product of the school system. Um, so growing up through that school system, specifically Prince George's County, Maryland, we have very um, a very uh, uh, heavily African-American uh, school system. So we so my one of my goals is specific specifically target the diversity factor within STEM. So uh, just some numbers for you. If you look at America as a whole across uh, all 50 states, this the field of STEM is roughly 7% African Americans across the entire thing. Um, so when you, when you think about that, you think that not enough students that look like um, that not enough African American students or black and brown children see people that look like them in the field, and thus they at a young age you might not you know might not feel that you can relate to the person, you might not feel that you can approach the person X Y Z. So one of my goals being on the board is to bring programs like that specifically to the school system. Um, so using my role at NASA, using the connections I have, we've actually already spun up a program. Um, that will be starting either this year or next year, which is specifically going to target Prince George County, Maryland, um, to to get more students on on our campus specifically. And we're hoping to utilize that as a beta model to duplicate not just for STEM, but for a lot of other a lot of other things, and then hopefully to take it to different centers. You know, do it at Kennedy, do it at Johnson, things like that. Um, so at the root, really want to affect that diverse population because that's what Prince George's is. It's majority African American students. Um, but but at the heart of it is just getting more students into STEM um, and realizing that that's something that I can add to to um, to the board. And like I said, it's mm -hmm. 130,000 students. It's uh, 22, 23,000 teachers. Um, so it's, a, it's we've got a 2.2 billion dollar budget. It's it's a pretty it's a pretty massive um, operation. But you know I have I have staff. So luckily that's not. Um, that's not, it's not a full-time job in addition to my full-time job. It's, it's, it's like a part-time job that I treat as a full-time job. So, you know, I've got, I've got my board phone over here. I've got my board laptop over there. So like, as I, you know, as soon as I get off work for, you know, NASA for the day, I just shift over and say, Hey, I got to answer these emails. I've got to talk to these parents. Um, I've got a number of students that are actually in high school right now that I'm helping with their um, senior projects. So a few of them will be doing senior projects specifically with NASA this year. Um, and that's just something that I do. I was doing that before I was on the board, but now that I'm on the board, I feel as though I can help a lot more, a lot more students. So um, it's, it's definitely a pivot left, but um, I think it's, it's for the greater good. I'm trying to help as many students as I can. It is definitely for really great good, you know, because uh, as, as I mentioned, you know, the, the, this, for to speak about the topics on sentence administration, creating the space for young engineers, which again is, is very important and again striving to educate curious minds around the globe about science, because science is one of the pieces that drives us as people because I think uh, again through the space, uh, you know, space flight and space engineering there has been accomplished a lot of great, uh, you know, innovation of innovational things again 
like mm -hmm. the cameras that we're talking about, again, the phone camera, the laptops. I mean, a lot of things that we use at home has been part of the innovation and space, you know, engineering. So, so it's really cool that you're being part of that, part of the message, inspiring a lot of, you know, young people and, you know, raising them up and telling them, hey, look, you can follow the path that either you yeah. or other people created and yep. you can become part of that, again, part of the change. So that's really exactly. awesome. So be, be, besides, I mean, the work, like what does it look like in the space engineer world? What's the, what does it look like having a spare time? Like what do you do in the spare time? <laughs> spare, spare time. Um, <laughs> I, uh, is there, is there I any spare time? So most of my spare time is, um, so I'm, 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 I've been married for three years to so spend time with my wife. Um, I'm a new dad. Uh, my right. first son was, thank you. My first son was born in September. So he is four months old. Um, he's learning to babble right now. So he does a lot of like talking. Um, so my, uh, a lot of my free time spent with them. Uh, you know, I've also got Seeker that I work on uh, mm -hmm. a lot, which is, which is really just what I've been doing anyway. Like I just read space articles and, and cool stuff about science. And I get to talk to people about it. And that, you know, that's, that's not really much difference. Um, uh, and, and the board of education takes up time as well. Um, I've got two dogs, you know, one, one walked past a second ago. Um, so if you rewind it a few seconds, you'll probably see him, but <laughs> one walked past a few seconds ago. Um, what else? I really, I really enjoy traveling. Um, obviously haven't gone anywhere in the past year because, um, <laughs> because of COVID, but, um, prior to that, you know, I, I, I travel internationally a lot, not just for speaking engagements, but just in general. So, um, if everything goes well and COVID kind of subsides, I'll be in Poland, um, <clears throat> Poland, I'm sorry, I'll be in Denmark, Denmark, Poland, Denmark, uh, Copenhagen and one other place this year. But, um, but, um, yeah, I, 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 what else do I like to do? Oh, I like to eat. <laughs> I always like to tell people I like to eat. So I like to try, I like to try new restaurants and try new, um, cuisines and stuff like that. So I like to, I like to kind of, kind of dabble and I read as well. So. That's the stuff that I, I like to get into in my quote unquote free time. Um, oh, oh, and and last thing, I'm in I'm in a doctoral program, so I'm a doctoral student. <laughs> so so that's um that's it's a fun experience, I'll say. Um, I'm learning a lot. We're in a we're in a class called cyber resilience right now, where we're just learning about cyber technologies and things like that. So mm. it's a, it, it's a, it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot going on, but you know I'm I I thoroughly enjoy it. Awesome, awesome. So it seems like very busy and it, it seems like you don't have a lot of that spare time, you know, as I said, so, <laughs> which is good, yeah. which is good. Busy, busy is good. And I, I guess, yeah. you know, you, you have everything balanced again through all those 12 yeah. years. So yeah. any, you mentioned the books, I'm going to have a last few questions that I wanted to ask you yeah. if you don't mind. So you mentioned the books and the articles. So any books, you know, space engineering, you yeah. know, anything from outside of the realm and anything that you would recommend for people to read? Yeah. So what is the name of that book? It's on my shelf. Um, two things I'm reading right now, and I'm trying to find it, unless I left it upstairs because I was reading it. Um, uh, so one, actually a book I just finished is called uh, We Could Not Fail, but that's about um, great uh, African-American contributions to the space agency or the space industry. Um, I'm currently reading Barack Obama's book, The Promised Land. Uh, I've actually cultivated a lot of my... Um, a lot of my books using a uh, an app called Bookshelf, which is where I just put all the latest articles I'm reading, um, seeker videos that are coming up. Um, so a lot of stuff that I read and think about in my free time. Um, like if I see an article, I'll just throw it on Bookshelf and say, hey guys, um, 
read that if you get a chance. Um, and that's, the, I think that's really the easiest way to uh, <laughs> to um, keep up with what I'm reading. But those two books that I mentioned are the two main books I'm reading right now um, or that I've read in the past. And, and I'm looking, I, I'm open to suggestions. So anyone in the audience who's like, hey, you should read this, send it, you know, send the request my way and I'll, I'll order it off Amazon or something. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. Good. Always looking to learn, even though yeah. after 12 years working with NASA, here you go. Humble. Oh, yeah. Love it. Oh, yeah. Love it. So look, the last question, again, of being yeah. humble and be adding value to the communities and, you know, raising the young generation to, to, to be great. Like, what will be, is there anything else that you kind of like to leave as part of your personal generation, kind of part of a legacy? Um, you mean in general or in this podcast? Yeah. In, ger I mean, in, in general, <laughs> in general for yourself, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so, so in general, I hope to leave like, um, I hope to leave like the, the, the spirit of willingness to help others. I want to say, cause a lot of people that are, um, a lot of people that, that are, I don't want to say they have my years experience, but a lot of people that have been in this industry for a while, they don't, um, they don't like to talk. They don't like to give back in really any way. And if they do, it's really, um, it's really just intentionally for like show or something like that. Mm. Um, so I hope to leave kind of this this era of 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 talking to people and intentionally wanting to form these groups and these these um, these conversations around what we can do for each other collectively. Uh, because not only the space industry, but just engineering in general is like I mentioned earlier, team based. It's really um, you really can't do anything by yourself. Uh, so I think I think the best thing you can do is network, talk get those team skills up. Um, you know, there's a number of people and there's a number of people I feel as though I can, I can call now and just talk space with them anytime or kind of pull on them. I know the way you and I met is, is cause Ron reached out to me yep. <laughs> and said, Hey, you know, he's going to, he's going to contact you. He's a great guy, great podcast, you know, go ahead and go ahead and um, talk. So I was like, absolutely. Like no, no second thought about it. So, you know, I, um, I think, I think again, it's important to have, to go into it with the mindset of, I'm here to help others and also help myself at the same time. Um, so what can I do for you to help you in the future? Um, and that's something that I want to offer openly on this podcast. You know, if there's anything you need from me in the future, please feel free to reach out. I know, like I said, this kind of back and forth was was difficult to get to, <laughs> but we we finally got it scheduled. I'm, I'm so glad that we got the chance to talk. Awesome, awesome. So again, I, I love the enthusiasm and I love the willingness of, to, to give back because I exactly know what you mean when you say that a lot of people kind of just do it for the show. So it's very important because we all do live on a planet. So we all do need to understand that. Like if we want to go somewhere, we need to go collectively, collectively. It's either physically, you know, we have to be on the same page. So it's very important. So I love the fact that you want to bring people again, just be, you know, authentic, authentic self, you know, and, and guide other people, you know, uh, by being a leader at the same time. So love it, love it. So again, guys, uh, I want to ask you one thing. Again, if you share this episode with your friends, it's always going to be a, a good one, you know, for them to watch because especially if they're looking to become a future engineer for NASA or ESA <laughs> or JAXA or ISRO, it's oh, a great yeah. episode to have a lot of kind of behind the scenes that you need to become a great networker. You know, what does the kind of day routine look like? You know, that, you know, most of the space engineers do enjoy travel and food. Uh, you know, oh, some yeah. insights. So make sure to pass this episode along. I'm, I'm sure they will enjoy it. You know, something to do in a COVID time, you know, educate themselves a little bit more and, and you know, uh, force them to look up a little bit more and dream more, you know, because that's very important. So again, and for you, Kenneth, is, is a big thank you. Again, thanks for joining me today, sharing your you know, personal passions 
and reasons why you do what you do. You know, it's it's very cool. Like I'm a big, I'm a big fan. So thank you. Yeah, no problem, man. It's a pleasure to uh, be here. Pleasure to get the chance to talk to you again. If there's anything I can ever do for you in the future, I'm more than happy to do that. Um, and and hopefully we get the chance to talk again real soon. It was it was it was really fun. Thank you, thank you, I appreciate it. So again, uh, make sure to send best wishes to Kenneth again in the comments down below. Pull him for him, you know, tell him, look, you're gonna become a next future astronaut because I think that's what oh, yeah. you're aiming for as well. So <laughs> make sure to keep pulling for, for this man. So again, guys, thanks for, for watching this episode. And as always, don't forget to keep exploring.